This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, it's around this time of the year we hear the term New Year's resolutions everywhere. And whether you love or loathe the concept, there's no doubt that we're always striving to become you 2.0 or perhaps your ideal future self. And the truth is there's really no shortage of advice telling us how to do it. But have you ever wondered what does emerging psychological research say about how we can become the best version of ourselves? Our guest today is not a psychologist. He has studied what some of the researchers have found and what other experts have been saying. And it's none other than my illustrious co-host, Ryan Levesque. Ryan's written an article entitled, Meet Your Future Self Today, subtitled, New Research in Psychology Can Help You Design Your Future and Achieve Your Goals. And you can find that in the January 2023 edition of the Toastmaster magazine. Ryan is a freelance writer based in Massachusetts. Currently, he writes for companies in the blockchain, cryptocurrency, and Web3 space. He's been a Toastmaster for nearly 20 years. He's also a transformational public speaking coach. He provides fun and engaging one-on-one sessions over Zoom, helping clients of all experience levels unlock new levels of confidence and self-expression in their speaking. Ryan, welcome to the program. Thank you, Greg. So great to be here with you today. It's an honor to be on the other side of the microphone again. Sounds kind of weird because I guess you are a guest, but you're not. (laughs) Right. You and I have lots of time to banter, but let's just get to the meat of our topic for today. In a nutshell, Ryan, maybe perhaps start off with telling us a little bit about what the article is about and why are you interested in this particular topic? Yeah, thanks, Greg. I heard the term future self several years ago, and something about it captured my imagination. I think there's almost like this sci-fi thought to the combination of future and self that was intriguing to me. The first time I'd heard it was a psychologist who was speaking about the topic. And then anytime I came across something that was related to future self, whether it was a TED Talk or an article or a book, it would perk my interest. Well, this all culminated when I read a book called Be Your Future Self Now by Benjamin Hardy, who is a social psychologist, and he is the world's leading authority on the application of future self-science. I've read his book now three times, and every time as I read through it, I was like, there's so much application here for this concept of the future self for Toastmasters. As Toastmasters I think we join because we have this vision of being something more, someone who's more capable of expressing themselves clearly, of communicating with passion, whatever it might be, being a more confident leader. And Toastmasters is a path, or as we have through pathways, many paths (laughs) that we can get there. (laughs) So that's really what grabbed my interest was diving into Benjamin Hardy's book and looking at how can this apply not only to Toastmasters, but really to anyone who wants to build a brighter future for themselves, a better version of themselves to bring to the world. I find it interesting that it's being referred to as a science, future self-science. You'd think that 
the future self would be more along the lines of some kind of psychology or you know, business or self-development. Now, first of all, if you could tell us a little bit about what it is and is it different from visualizations of the future or achieving your future goals? So there's definitely some overlap with the things that you just mentioned. Visualizing your future self can certainly be a way to apply future self science. Achieving goals is definitely wrapped in it. The reason it's a science is it comes from psychology, which is a science. True. It emerges from the positive psychology movement of the 1990s. This was pioneered by Martin Seligman and Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, uh, who wrote the book Flow that some of our listeners might be familiar with. It was a really popular book. What they came up with was really pivotal in the history of psychology. Prior to this positive psychology movement, most of psychology was focused on problems and pathologies that plague individuals. So it's taking people who are, let's say, functioning poorly or functioning below baseline and seeing if we can bring them up to baseline so that they can become closer to quote unquote normal. What positive psychology did is said, let's look at people who are flourishing, people who are really living a great life, achieving, they have great relationships, success at work, uh, they find meaning in life. And can we see what the differences are and how they're operating and then make that available to other people? So instead of just going from negative five to zero, we can go from, say, zero to plus five. So I'm thinking back to the 90s. OMG, the 90s, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> and I, I still remember this flurry of books. And in fact, I can picture one of them that's on my shelf about success and positive thinking. In fact, I probably have a lot of books from back then. So is this similar? It, it doesn't sound like it. or It does, but it doesn't. I kind of don't like the term positive psychology, but that's what the term is. The reason I don't like it is because I think people hear it and instantly they go to positive thinking. Yes. The power of positive thinking or uh, the psychology of success, these different books that came out in, like you said, in the 80s and the 90s, success-oriented, positive thinking, you can be better, you can do better, you can have it all, motivational literature. And while there can be some overlap, positive psychology, strictly speaking, is really distinct from that. It is a specific field of research where there are studies looking at what's working for people, what's not working. It's not like rah-rah motivational material. It's what tweaks in behavior, what tweaks in mindset can be made to produce an optimal result. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I stand corrected. I guess I was thinking about some of the platform speakers from decades ago that would get up there and talk about positive thinking, but I, I guess it's not quite the same thing. No, it's not. I, and in fact, one of the experts that I quoted in the article has a book called Rethinking Positive Thinking, which challenges a lot of <laughs> the messages that were put out by those speakers. And look, I mean, some of it's good. I've got lots of those titles on my shelf as well. And at some point, probably, I don't know, over the past 
10 years or so, I found myself gravitating more towards writers who were coming from that scientific basis. Like, for example, one of my favorites is Carol Duet, who wrote a book called Mindset. Again, it's like backed up by research. It's not just someone who dreamed up a theory that sounded good and then got up on a stage and started speaking about it and wrote a book about it. There's really some substance and data to back up what she has to say. Not like they just read it in Wikipedia, right? Right. <laughs> in the article, you make reference to a number of experts, I think maybe nine or 10, including uh, Harvard's uh, Dan Gilbert. He's a social psychologist. And then you make the statement, the data is clear. Your future self will be far different from the person you are today. And then, of course, you go on to say a few other things. And I'm thinking in my mind, doesn't that really depend on the time frame? I mean, I'm thinking about many people I know, or even myself, between the ages of 20 and 40, definitely there's going to be a huge change. But once we all seem to get set in our ways, right? You hear that term about people being set in their ways. Wouldn't the changes be more minute, if not at all? Now, with one caveat, of course, if something extraordinary happens in our life, then sometimes we can have a lot of change. But again, wouldn't it just depend on the time frame? I think so, Greg. I, I think you bring up a good point. We do tend to change less as we get older. The difference between someone who's 10 years old and 20 years old there's an obvious huge difference from when you're first born from zero to five years old to one year old, even. There's this amazing growth that then compare that to 30 to 40 or 30 to 50 doesn't even compare. But here's what Gilbert was pointing to, and he brings this out in his TED Talk. It's called The Psychology of Your Future Self. He talks about something called the end of history illusion. And what he found is that while the amount of growth and change does tend to slow down for people over the years, that's kind of obvious. As we just said, we can just observe and notice that. At every age, when Gilbert polled people and asked them to predict how much they thought they might change in the next year, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever the range happened to be, people always and inevitably underestimate the amount that they change. So whether you ask someone who's 10 or 20 or 30, 40, 50, 60, they're more than likely going to say, yeah, if I look 10 years down the road, I think I'll pretty much be about the same I am today. Same general personality, same interests, same hobbies, probably enjoy the same foods. My daily routine will probably be about the same as it is today. No matter the age that you poll, they vastly underestimate the amount that they're actually going to change. Okay, so we're, we're going to be attempting to shape our future self. Is there an ideal time frame to work with it then? I think you can work at it at both the micro and the macro level. When I say macro and micro, I mean the, the short term and the long term. The short term being as short as my future self five minutes from now, and then the long term can be however you define it, whether that's six months into the future, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and so on. But I'll bring up one of these other experts that's cited in the article, and that's 
Hal Hirschfield from UCLA. And his research shows that when people feel connected to their future self, when they feel like their future self is a real person and a person that they have a relationship with, or they conceive of their future self as another person, they're more likely to make decisions that are in the best interest of that person. He found that in the area of finances, in the area of health, even in ethical decision-making. So back to your question, is it better to work in a particular time frame, a short time frame, a longer time frame? I don't think it really matters. This is my opinion on it. I think in line with what Hirschfield says, that the really key thing is having that relationship with your future self developing that and then choose whatever time frame you want to work with based on your goals. As you were speaking, I'm thinking about when we developed our speeches, we, I think about connecting with our audience. Almost sounds similar, except you're connecting with yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, interesting because it's a little bit abstract, right? Connecting with your future self. Like, what do you mean with my future self? That person doesn't exist yet. Well, also connecting with your audience is an abstraction. How do you connect with your audience? There is no your audience. It's a collection of individuals, right? So if we can make that abstraction of connecting with our audience, then look ahead <laughs> and imagine what we might be like in the future or just know that, you know, as long as something unfortunate doesn't happen, I'm still going to be here in five years. What might I look like? How might I be? What might I value at that time? And then more importantly, what can I do to shape who I become so that it doesn't just become a pinball and a pinball machine that gets shaped by the different experiences and things that happen to me? But how can I pick up the paintbrush behind the canvas and actually create who I'm going to become? I'm starting to have all of these movies going through my head about you know, remember, I'm going to put the key here so that when you go back in time, when you go forward <laughs> in the future, you can find that key that it's, you know, it's under the mat. <laughs> right. Now, not to throw you for a loop, Ryan, but what happens if you have no idea what your future self is? I mean, when we're five, we might say, oh, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be a hockey player. And then I don't know how many adults I know who say, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think to borrow from Hirschfield again, it doesn't really matter. Start somewhere. I think what's most important is your values. What are the things that you value today? And do you want those values to continue to be expressed in the future? So that's a good place to start, getting clear on your values. But again, you might sit down and dream about what your future self would be. Something might happen to you six months from now where you might completely change your mind. The point is you've kind of put something out there to start moving towards. And then as you start moving towards it, you get more data, you have more experience, and you can recalibrate just like the GPS. You know, you set the destination, start moving towards it, and you see a sign for a restaurant that, oh, maybe I want to pull off and check out this place. It looks interesting. So you recalibrate. Although it's a little abstract, it seems to be a lot more concrete than just simply saying, 
I'm going to set a New Year's resolution for this year. Can I help make it a little bit more concrete? Well, I was going to ask you, my next question is, okay, so how do we go about doing this? Where do we start? One of Benjamin Hardy's suggestions in Be Your Future Self Now is to go through the exercise of writing a letter to your future self. So get out a notebook or pull up a document on your computer and write Dear Future Greg and share in that letter your hopes, your dreams for what their life might be like. And just let your imagination run wild. Don't try to make it perfect or don't try to like get everything right. Because again, it's not even about what those specific details are. The power comes in feeling like you have this connection to your future self, this concern for your future self. And think about it just kind of from a logical level. If you have someone in your life that you care about, if you can care about yourself in that same way, just like for those who have kids, you want your kids to have a brighter, better future. And so you're going to make decisions to support them in their education, in their moral formation, in their development of their virtues and values. So similarly, if you have it that your future self is a person for you to become, it makes it more likely and more natural for you to make decisions that aren't just benefiting you right now in the moment, but are taking that longer term perspective. Mm, interesting. And I think in terms of doing it, you mentioned in the article, you're quoting Viktor Frankl. He's an Austrian psychologist and author, and his classic book is Man's Search for Meaning. And there's an admonition that Frankel offers, and the quote I think you pulled was, live as if you were living already for the second time, and as if you had acted the first time as wrongly as you are about to act now. What does that look like? Mm. Well, first of all, I don't know if all of our listeners know this, but Viktor Frankl is a survivor of, I think it's three different concentration camps. So when he speaks, or he doesn't speak anymore, unfortunately, but when he writes, his words really mean something. This is someone who knows something about life. So I love that quote. That quote was in Man's Search for Meaning, as well as in Be Your Future Self Now. Benjamin Hardy tells, this is one of my favorite parts of his book. He tells this story of while he was in the process of writing the book, he was on his way home from work one day, driving home, and was feeling a little bit irritable. It had been a long day. There were some things he was maybe frustrated by. He's anticipating getting home. He has a big family with lots of children. Uh, the house can be messy. Toys can be strewn all over the place. The kids he knew were going to be probably hyper. And he pulled his car over to the side of the road and was thinking about meditating on this quote from Viktor Frankl and projected ahead, if I kind of just let nature take its course, I'm probably going to walk through the door, be kind of grumpy, you know, probably get a little annoyed with the kids, and it's going to play out that way. That's just the way it's going to go. But then he thought, what if it was 30 years from now, for example, 
And I had the opportunity to come back to this moment in time again and relive it. 30 years down the road, my kids are grown. By really grounding himself in the blessing of that opportunity to come back and relive that day that was just an ordinary everyday opportunity. When Hardy asked himself that question, he realized what a gift that would be to be, I don't know, 50 something years old and come back and experience again, showing up at his home after a day at work and having the beautiful chaos of his family there, of his daughter running up to him and jumping on him and hugging him, daddy, daddy. And so he decided to show up as if he was reliving that moment, as if he had lived it poorly and had this blessed opportunity to go back in time and relive it again. And he paints the picture of what it was like. He, he in fact, even took his phone and snapped a picture that's in the book with one of his daughters. Have you seen the film, It's a Wonderful Life, Greg? Many times. Okay, awesome. In color and in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's really what it reminded me of when George Bailey gets reunited with his family after he thought they were all lost, that his whole opportunity was lost. And now everything is just so much brighter. Even when it was a black and white, it was in color for him, right? <laughs> That's what's available. And that's, again, on the micro level, the short term. I'm five minutes from home. I'm about to walk through the door. What if I can be this future self 50 years into the future, looking back on this moment, but be that now? Mm, and Clarence earned his wings. Right. As you're sharing this and, and making reference back to Dr. Frankel, I'm thinking about in a speaking context. The Dale Carnegie quote where he said, there's always, was it three speeches for every one you gave? The one you practiced, the one you gave, and the one you wish you gave. So why not start with the one you wish you gave? Yeah, well, I think there's a real practical application here as well. And I talk about this a little bit in the article, but I know I've had this experience many times. Have, have you, Greg? You've been at a meeting, maybe it's a Toastmasters meeting, maybe it's a work meeting. You get up to speak, to give a presentation, and it starts off a little bit rocky. It takes you a little while to find your footing. And then finally, you get into a pretty good pace, and you're like, yeah, this is, this is going pretty well. I feel pretty strong. I feel pretty confident. And then you sit down after, and you're kind of buzzing with, I got there, and, and I actually did pretty well. But you know that hey, it really took me a while to warm up, though. I wish I had the opportunity for a do-over to get up and do that again. Well, what if you decide before you get up to be your future self 10 minutes into the future when the presentation is done and lead with that already warmed up energy, with that already confident, with that, and let's say in a networking session, that feeling of, I already know you, I already feel connected with you. I actually did this with a group last week. There's a live class that I facilitate every week. And I shared with the group, I said, I've been noticing this phenomenon that 
there's a stark contrast from when we start the class to when we finish the class and how people show up. So people come into the class and they're one way. Then we go into breakout rooms, work on some stuff, come back and recap. And there's a difference in the energy in the room. And I asked the participants if they've been noticing that as well. And they all said, yes, absolutely. So I invited one of them to speak about it. And he said, well, I feel like when we come in, we're kind of tentative. We're not quite warmed up yet. And then we go into the breakout rooms and get comfortable with each other. And then by the time we come back to the main room, everyone's buzzing. Everybody's feeling confident, feeling good. There's a sparkle in the eye. And I was like, man, yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm talking about. So my challenge for you today is can you be your future self, the one that you're going to be at the end of the class? Can you be that future self now and bring that energy right now? Skip the warm up process. Do it as a matter of choice to tap into that energy and bring it forward. Oh, that's too funny because I'm turning back the clock about maybe three or four weeks ago and you asked me to be a guinea pig for one of your new workshops that you were working on and you did exactly the same thing with me. Mm. There was some new game or some new test you were trying on me and then you had me do it again and then you had made that comment about how much more comfortable I was with it. And then when we went on to the next exercise, you said, okay, why don't you just start with that same energy? And it was amazing how well it worked. So I didn't realize that that would fit into the concept of your future self. That's interesting. Yeah, I think there's two aspects to it. One is just the awareness. The awareness that you can choose something different. And then two, it's making the choice. And it, it really is just a matter of choosing it and acting accordingly. There's that old saying this this is from the positive thinking books back in the day not the positive psychology per se but the positive thinking books and and actually i think it fits into positive psychology as well but to be confident act confident well ryan that certainly makes a lot of sense and as we soon come to a close is there anything else that you could add that could help us go from the theoretical the research to practical things that we can put into play right away there are a couple of points that stood out to me from Benjamin Hardy's work. One is, if you begin to get this picture of the future self that you want to be, take a look at where you're putting your time now. And maybe there are some things that you're still committed to and participating in that are no longer part of this new identity that you want to embrace. So are there some goals that were meaningful for you at one time that it's time to reevaluate and perhaps uncommit to? And then there's the flip side of that, Greg, which is given the person that you want to become, the life that you want to lead, how can you start scheduling your future self's priorities today? So for example, although I've been a Toastmaster for 20 years, and there's been a lot of informal coaching of speakers in that process, taking on the identity of a transformational public speaking coach is something that's a bit newer for me in comparison to the 20-year journey here, right? So something that I'm doing is instead of saying, well, maybe I'll get to that someday, I'm 
putting on my calendar now slots of working with clients, coaching with clients to make that a priority and to continue to grow into that over time. So there's depending on whatever your goals are, if it's, for example, I want to be healthier, fitter, stronger. Well, just very simple. Look at your calendar. What does your calendar have to say about that as a priority? Is it a wish or is it something that you really want to make happen? And if so, let's operationalize it. Let's schedule workouts. Let's schedule reading a book about habit change or about a new diet that you want to experiment with, something like that. So folks, you just got a glimpse into Ryan Levesque 2.0. Ryan, as we come to a close, as usual, we always ask our guests where they can find them or get more information. So I'll ask you that same question. Well, of course, you can always find me at toastmasterspodcast.com. But probably the best places to connect are on LinkedIn. And my writing website is wordsonchain.com. And would love to hear from listeners if this topic resonates with you if you have questions about it full transparency i'm a student of this material as well i'm not one of the experts in the book about future self science i'm one of the people learning from it playing with it benefiting from it that sounds great and folks if you've enjoyed this podcast as much as i have and i'm sure ryan has too being our illustrious guest i encourage you to share this podcast with everybody and anyone you know. You can find the Toastmasters podcast, as Ryan said, at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org. It'll be attached to the article as well. Apple, Google, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Ryan Levesque, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I will speak to you on the next podcast. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Greg. I've really enjoyed it. Isn't it about time you publish that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.